Good morning. I am Kathy, and I have served on the pastoral team here at Hillcrest for a good long time now. 31 years this year, this month. And I'm pleased and privileged to bring the word to you this morning. It's not my regular job to stand in front of you and teach, but I am um, privileged to do it this morning. So I want to do that. I wish I were a great teacher today because I think what I have to share, um, the topic that we're discussing today is central to our Christian faith. And so I I wish I was really, really good at teaching about it so that we would all be refreshed and renewed in our understanding of biblical community. Um, We're going to look at that topic today. We're going to say, what does the Bible say about living in community? Why does it matter? If it's all that good, then how do I make it part of my life? What might hinder me from being in community? And what steps can I take today that will help me build more of this into my life? At a glance, our next few minutes are going to look like this. We're going to take a look at the Trinity, just a peek. We're going to look at what Scripture teaches about community. We're going to examine what might hinder community. And then we're going to talk about responses. In the end, I hope each one of us, whether you're the died in the wool, been committed forever, loved Jesus for a long time, and all of his people, um, whether you're that kind of person or whether this idea of um, submitting to one another in relationship in biblical community is a new thing to you, I hope that each one of us is encouraged today um, in our understanding and in our hope to be in community. I hope that inspiration finds its way to be determination and to courage to participate in community. It's kind of an overall look at Scripture. It's not a verse-by-verse study today, and we're going to do a lot of looking through many Scriptures, and um, the references will be on the screen, and if you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you that you might want to write some of those Scriptures down, and maybe in your devotional this week you could... um, Take a look at those scriptures and let um, the Lord speak to you through them. So before we start, let's pray. Father, um, Son, and Spirit, we bow our hearts and our heads to you this morning and invite you to teach us what you would have us know about living in community with your people and fellowship with you. Lord, some of us, it's old news. Some of it's it's brand new news. And I pray that whatever place we are on that spectrum, you would um, speak to our hearts, teach us your ways, help us to be more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does the Bible say about community? Right from the beginning, from before the start of time, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in place. That holy trinity, that holy community, invites us into relationship with himself. It's an amazing story. And about three years or so ago, the staff got to go and hear a man named Daryl Johnson, who did, he's a professor, an author, a pastor, uh, a teacher, and he did uh, sort of a whole expose on the holy trinity and the dance that the three of them do together and the way they invite us in to dance with them. And I 
it, I wish I could invite each of you into the holy moment when you understand that invitation to be part of something so much bigger than ourselves. It really is an awesome thing. He recommended a book then, and I'm going to recommend the book to you, um, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. If um, you've walked with the Lord for a while and are ready to dig into understanding the delight that you can have in the Holy Trinity, this is a book that's good reading. It's not too heavy, and it's... um, I, I just have really enjoyed it, so I wanted to recommend it to you for that purpose. So the Trinity is our first and our perfect look at community. The next place that we note the importance that God places on living in community with people is in the Scripture, the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament being the story of the people that God calls to himself, and the New Testament being the story of the people the church of today that he calls to himself. The very first pages of scripture in the story of creation of the world and how God made man and woman to be with one another and to walk with him. We are designed for relationship right from the beginning we were. First and foremost, relationship with God. Our purpose of walking on earth is to give God glory, to bring worship to his name. If you ever wonder, I used to tell my teenage son, if you ever wonder what you're made for, it's this. To worship God. Everything else in our life circles around that. The relationships we have and the purpose we have together is all about worship. Our marriages, our relationships, our small groups, our church, it's all to bring worship and glory to God the Father. Man and woman walked on the earth with God in harmony, with awesome, in harmony with the awesome world that He created, in our harmony with Him. And it was. Um, all in unity until sin and selfishness entered the world because mankind thought we knew better than God. And so we didn't have to really obey and we didn't have to really walk with him. And that pride and selfishness escorted into the world brokenness and pain and chaos where there should have been unity. There should have been um, us making God look really great. As the story goes on, we read the account of the Old Testament, how God unfolds his plan for redemption of that brokenness. God didn't like it broken. He made a way for us to, to, for that to be healed, for there to be reconciliation for um, our pride and sinfulness, forgiveness for that so that there could be relationship with him again. So it's not just a, a New Testament, New Church understanding But there are many scriptures in the New Testament. Oh, I wanted to make the point, too, that in the Old Testament, God doesn't just choose, doesn't just deal with people as individuals. It's really plain in those old books that he calls a people to himself. So God loves us really well as individuals. If you don't know that about him, um, it's one of my favorite parts about God. He knows me very personally. He knows how to speak a word of encouragement to me, when to give me correction, who to correct me with. Um, All of those things he, he knows so perfectly and loves me so great as an individual. But on top of that, he sees me in relationship to his people. And it's, it's important for us to understand that because it's part of the big picture. Not only are we part of this community that we fellowship with on a regular basis, but 
through the ages, those Old Testament believers, those New Testament Christians, we are part of all of that, and he sees us as his people. It's, it's so much bigger than just a little um, American way to see God. You know, we tend to, we're so self-centered in America, so self-serving that um, it's hard for us to sometimes understand that. But biblical community is not just an Old Testament thing. It is a New Testament principle as well. And for the sake of time today, we're going to look at New Testament scriptures that talk about us in community. So we're going to um, look first of all, and I'm just most of these I've just put the scripture titles up on the screen for you, and as I said, you can take a look, write those down, take a look at them through the week, and I'll just share them um, verbally this morning. So we're going to look at the ways now that um, the, basically the one another scriptures of the New Testament, the places where we can see the pictures that God means for his people, us, the church. So we're going to show our love for God by loving others. That's the first principle of living in community. We show our love for God by loving others. 1 John 3, 11 and 14. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Am I popping for a reason? No? Okay. That may be my... So, anyone who does not love remains in death. <laughs> Out? Okay. Sorry, you guys. Better? Let's hope. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Ah, got it. So we show our love for God by loving others. In that verse, we see it really plainly. God places high value on us being in relationship with one another, on us working this out in community. I didn't make a slide for this, but if love is the important thing, you'll want to take a look at 1 Corinthians 13. Um, That whole chapter starts off like this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. And then it goes on to describe love. It's patient. It's kind. It's not self-serving. It's not proud. It's not boastful. It, uh, it's long-suffering. And of all the things in the world, the thing that's most important is love. Faith, hope, and love, these three. But the, most, the greatest of them is love. There's, it's just foundational. We know another way we're, we see in the New Testament um, the one another's of Scripture. We pray for one another. Ephesians 6.18 And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. 
Another just glimpse you have it that when God puts you in, when you're one of God's children, he expects you to be praying for God's people. We are accountable to one another and pray for one another. Confession and prayer are part of what happens. We don't confess to ourselves. We confess to someone we trust, right? James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Amazing. God, right into his design of the church, he made it so that there was, and I don't know if you've experienced it, if you haven't experienced this yet, it's powerful. If you are struggling with something, if there's some thought that bothers you, some action that's a trouble to your life, if you are brave enough to confess it to a trusted person in your life, the power of that thing is broken. And there's healing that comes from that. You have somebody to stand with you in prayer. And that's a good thing. It's part of the good plan that God has for us as our good father. All gifts are given so that together we might become mature in Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, a little bit of it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, some to be prophets, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, that's us all together, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow. We're given to one another so that together, with all the gifts that are represented here, and you are one of those gifts, so that all the gifts, when we work together, we make God look good and we understand a more true picture of who God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are. That's a mystery of heaven that we have a whole lifetime to discover about. But it really is... Um, amazing and true. God means us to live so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What happens when that happens? Well, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, we'll be speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Wow, what a picture all in itself. How many sermons are in that just chunk of scripture, right? So again, all gifts, every one of us and the gifts we have are given so that we might become mature in Christ. That's what happens when we work together. On top of that, Jesus modeled service to one another. In John 13, verses 12 through 17, there's the picture of um, Jesus with his disciples washing their feet the ones, his followers, that he had called to be close to him. That was the service he gave to them. He washed their feet, which was a, um, a service to them, 
a way to show. And this is what he said about it. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Well, in 2016, it would be kind of weird, although sometimes a wonderful symbol to wash one another's feet. It's not something we typically do like it was culturally then. Um, we kind of wash our own feet in the shower by ourselves, right? And, uh, but when we come together, what would that mean? What would it look like for us to serve one another? And, and how have we considered that lately? What service are we doing for God's people? It's part of what the Lord expected of us. And um, earlier this, all summer long, we've had um, a call to serve this body and all the different aspects that we've had. And we were looking for 55 people. Right now we're down to just needing 17, I think. So good job, Hillcrest Chapel, of saying, yep, I belong and I'm ready to do something for the whole. I'm ready to partner with this, this people. Those are good things. Um, the next thing is that as a community of believers, we are a witness to the world around us. This is another thing in God's design that together we are a stronger witness than we can be as one grain of salt. This Matthew 5, 13 through 16 puts it this way. You are the salt of the earth. We're talking to God's people. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And there's a whole other purpose to it but my thought here was what kind of flavor does one grain of salt give a dish when you're cooking not a whole lot right but a whole teaspoon or a whole handful or whatever it is you're cooking and you put the right amount of salt in that mix and something tasty comes out of it something appealing something compelling Something like a block party that when we do it all together, it's a really big, can make a bigger impact than we can one by one. Not that we don't make individual impact, but that we can do it really well together as well. And speaking to the church in Philippi, um, this, these were the words that the author penned. You are the light of the world, talking to the people, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So that, I love it when those little so that's are in there because then I get the point and I'm really practical. I like to know what the so that is. Okay, so if we're the light of the world, why are we? So that you may become blameless and pure. So it's for our purposes to begin with. We're working on being blameless and pure, more like God. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That could be called ours, right? Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So the witness, the light to a warped and crooked generation, this world that we live in, the society that we live in, this culture that we live in needs us together to bring the picture of God's kingdom in the midst. And that's what it's meant to do. So that, that we may become blameless and pure and so that we'll shine like stars in the sky among the darkness. 
And the last one I want to pick out in that category is John 17, 23. I in them and you in me, so that us, we may be brought into unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus was praying for us. This was his prayer for us that we would be in him as he is in the Father so that we would be brought to complete unity and the world would know that we were his. And therefore, they'll know that he loves them. It's just a great picture. Well, all of these scriptures are just a small sample of the number of things. There, you know that if you're a Bible reader, all of the one another's in the New Testament for sure. We love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, hold one another accountable. On and on and on it goes. So we get it, right? We can see that we're meant to do it together. We can see that God's design for our good, for our growth, is to be in relationship with one another. It will make Jesus look good, and it will be best for us if we're practicing our love and our faith with one another. So how on earth do we do that? Does the Bible give us any hint as to what the church or we should look like practically? Yep. Let's look at Acts 2, 42 through 46. Here's what the early church looked like. They devoted themselves. Devoted is a commitment, a prioritizing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So if you take that break it down, you can see all kinds of things that the early church was about. They were generous with their resources. Hillcrest Chapel is pretty generous with our resources. Good work, people. They're in relationship. They loved and served one another. They learned together. We do that in the large group setting often, but they did it also in their homes. They prayed together. They ate together. They worshiped together. And let's look at Acts 12, 12 through 17. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary. This is um, Peter. After being in prison, he found a little church that was meeting in the house. When, it, when he figured out where he was after escaping from prison, he said he went to the house of Mary and John also called, called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So it's just another little picture for us, just slipped in there. Oh, yeah, the church was meeting in somebody's home, and they were all praying, probably for Peter. Probably one of the things they prayed for. So we see the picture here of believers meeting in a place where it's small enough to be personal. Maybe people that would could ask, um, how are you? People to know and be known by. People might be able to ask, how goes the battle to stay sober? How are you doing having your elderly parent live with you? How's your heart? How's the job search? 
How can I pray for you this week? People to encourage you in meaningful ways. Not just sort of broad stroke things, but ones that know you well enough to speak to a place that, that you need deep encouragement. Maybe even know you well enough to know that uh, that's where you need encouragement right now. So a smaller group than the two to 300 people that meet here on a Sunday morning is probably in order. We get that it's needed in our lives if we're going to have a personal relationship, people that can ask those kind of questions. And Hillcrest is a church that provides small groups for people, all kinds of ways to serve in a smaller group or be known in a smaller group. So what is it that might hinder meaningful small group experiences for you and for me? Let's take a quick look at a few of those things. The first one I want to mention is that first and foremost, do not underestimate. Remember, we have an enemy. We have an enemy whose number one job is to convince you you are all alone. That nobody's felt this badly before. Nobody knows what you're feeling. Nobody understands you. Nobody cares. You're all by yourself. That is the number one thing the enemy's job is to tell you. So if you're hearing those words more often than (laughs) you care to, renounce them in the name of Jesus. They are a lie from the pit. That kind of talk is is not biblical talk to yourself. So don't, don't cling to it. Don't stay there. Don't hang on those words. We have an enemy who tries. It's his only job to always only make us feel alone and lonely, to always lie to us about not being worthy or able to be loved, and to always work to make us feel tired, overwhelmed, and fragmented. And if you, that is who he is. Let's expose him for what that is and get rid of that in our heart and mind as best we can. Pray against it. Second, it's counterculture, especially in America. We are self-centered, self-sufficient, independent, and proud of it, are we not? And that very thing that sometimes is very good for us also works very hard against um, kingdom living in our life. So be careful. Be careful that that doesn't take over. We're busy. It's another hindrance. We're busy because we're lonely, and we're lonely because we're busy, and we go around and around and around and around and around on that little hamster wheel. And we have no time or energy for deep relationships because we just keep going, kind of trying to fill our life with maybe something that is deep, looking for what it might be. Maybe I've missed it. Another hindrance to meaningful small group experience or personal relationships could be a painful experience in the past. Past hurts or fear of future hurts. If I get close to people, it will hurt. Well, if you haven't noticed yet, welcome to love, right? If you haven't noticed yet, welcome to love. Today is Derek and my 34th wedding anniversary. And, yeah, yay! And I can tell you that um, it's not 
a marriage even that's the answer to loneliness in your life. In fact, it's one of the places you probably get hurt the deepest because you expose yourself the deepest. You, they know, you, you know each other's weaknesses and inadvertently our selfish nature takes over and you step on the next person. And how you make it a long time is by having a ton of grace for the humanness in the other person. <laughs> I can remember once, I don't know, I think we'd been married seven or eight years, and uh, I can remember Derek, after I was complaining about something, I don't even know what it was, thank goodness, um, but tell, pointing out something that I thought he should straighten out. And um, he looked at me and says, you know, Kath, it's not that I don't see your faults. It's that I choose to overlook them. <laughs> and it just, you know, the Lord just really hit me between the eyes with it. It was like, yeah, that's it. It's not that we, there's any perfect person in the world. It's not that there's any perfect church or any perfect small group or any perfect anything until we are one with Christ in all eternity. The deal is we are in enough unity with Lord that we have enough love to cover over multitudes of sins. That's the way he meant it to be. And when we're looking for the perfect thing, it just doesn't happen. And now I don't know where I was on my notes because that was a story. So we're looking. <laughs> we have an enemy, oh, the small group. Every loving relationship with other imperfect people has misunderstandings. It has bunked up communication. It's sometimes tainted with selfish and ulterior motives. And I think sometimes in this Facebook world, we are tempted to think that other people's relationships are more perfect than ours. And that, again, is another lie from the enemy. I think if there's one, this is my old lady idea of Facebook, okay? Um, We see that... It's too easy when you just see somebody's one little picture of some perfect moment in their day or in their relationship. It's too easy to think, well, they, they have it all that I don't have. And that's just not true. If you get to know people, there's not one person that doesn't struggle. I've had the privilege of knowing lots of people in my life. And everybody, everybody has weaknesses, everybody has struggles, every one of us is faced with being human. And so that love that covers over multitudes of sins, that's really important for us to all hang on to. Another hindrance could simply be a lack of commitment or faithfulness to that commitment. It's hard to be faithful and loyal and committed to attend. Many a time I find it very tempting to stay home from my home group. It's not that I don't love those people. It's just I'm tired. My, my life is full of people a lot, and so I'd rather, I'd rather not. I'll just stay home. And I know I'm not the only one that thinks that. It's a big effort to get with your people sometimes. But I just want to encourage us today to show up. Um, when I, Derek turned 50, I threw a party for him and um, invited guys that he had served on the board with, served in eldership with, friends and neighbors and stuff like that. And I came, and it was a good time of blessing. Dustin kind of led a, um, that's our son, led a, um, a prayer time and a blessing time. And those men 
prayed for Derek and affirmed things that they saw the Lord working in him and was really encouraging to him. And I remember one of the guys coming up to me um, later in the week then and saying to me that he didn't think that he had people in his life that could talk like that to him. And I, I, my encouragement to him, I, I just said, you know what? This is not rocket science. These kind of relationships are forged over time by faithfully showing up in each other's lives. That really is just it. And those of you that, that have walked a long time with maybe the people in your small group or in, even in this church, you know there are ups and downs. And, all, and sometimes you feel close and sometimes you don't feel close. Sometimes you feel like you belong. Sometimes you don't feel like you belong. Don't be fooled into thinking that you don't have a place. Community and and belonging take longer than we'd like, and they're harder than we'd like, and they're not always easy. And those, for us to remember that, I just want you to know those things are common to us. They're common to every one of us, that you were tempted to feel alone, like we don't belong. And the antidote to that is just showing up. Being faithful. Um, you're going to have um, you're going to have an opportunity. Uh, we're going to we're calling us to a nine week commitment starting September 25th, going to November 20th. That's the Sunday just before Thanksgiving. Our fall sermon series is going to be on the identity of Christ and our identity in Him. And we're going to open up small groups for a nine-week commitment. And if you um, are already in a small group, I would just encourage you to be faithful for those nine weeks and together learn with one another what it means to live out our faith. And if you've never been in a small group or you've had trouble finding one, this would be a great nine-week commitment to trying it out. You're not stuck in it forever. You can just come and go after nine weeks. Okay? So there's many hindrances. Maybe I haven't named the hindrance that's stopping you. You've got your own excuse for not being in biblical community. And if I haven't named it, well, here's the question then. What's keeping you and me from meaningful small group experience? What is it that's keeping me? Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says this. And let us consider, let's think about it for a minute, how, may, how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Well, who could I encourage toward love and good deeds? Who could you encourage toward love and good deeds? Who could you encourage, who could you invite into relationship for maybe just nine weeks? Is there anything I need to restructure in my life so that meaningful relationships or belonging has the priority that Scripture clearly pictures for us? Another good question. Is there anything I need to reorganize? You know, I've been the small group pastor now for almost five years, and 
lots of times when we do a push like this, people come and they say, yep, I get it. I'm supposed to be in a small group. I'm going to give it a try here. Let's go. And we try and we work, try to connect people. And the only way that's going to happen, I can tell you right now, is if you prioritize it in your schedule. If you say no to the other things that are going to try and get you in that spot. Because remember, first of all, you have an enemy that doesn't want you in there. So priority. What can I restructure in my life so that meaningful relationships and belonging has priority? Well, I alluded to it before. um, In the foyer today and all of this month, and on these tables at the back of the sanctuary that we talked about a little earlier, all of these... Um, opportunities that are on the tables that are out there are ways that you could place yourself in closer fellowship with the people that you worship with each Sunday. And so um, over this month, as you think about this, as you pray about it, um, I would encourage you to ask questions of the people that are standing by the tables um, Think about the places and ways that you could prioritize belonging with a community in a way maybe that's deeper and better than you've ever done it before. Let's ask the Lord for help. Pray with me, would you? Lord, we get it. We we get that your good plan is for us to walk shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, side by side with your people, supporting one another, stronger together than separate. But, Lord, it's, it's hard work for us. We, um, we naturally tend to be selfish, and our culture doesn't help us much. So we really need your help, and we ask you for it today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would um, take our thoughts, take our excuses, take our fears, and that instead, Lord, you would fill us with your courage, that you would help us to walk with you into places and into relationships that um, that will bring the strength, that will make you look good to the world around us, that will win others to you because of the way we love one another. We need your help for it, Lord. We ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.